Ready to dominate at the plate? Blast Baseball is trusted by more major league and college teams than any other hitting solution. The Blast sensor attaches to the knob of any bat, providing real-time feedback with every swing. Go to BlastMotion.com and enter code NOWD1 at checkout to save $25. All right, everybody. It is 9 o'clock. Let's get right into it. We do this show every Monday through Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitter Spaces. I'm Alan Gay, and this is Now D1 Speaks. Hey, you may have noticed that today is not Thursday, and you are listening. That's right. It's a fun Friday. And, man, we've got a big-time show tonight. We've got a big-time guest. We've got Joey Myers joining us. He is a former D1 baseball player. He's also still involved in baseball. Going to have a ton of fun tonight. Hey, Joey, are you here? I am. Hey, Thanks for having me, Al. Absolutely, man. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and maybe kind of include even where you went to high school and, of course, where you went to college. And how'd you get into playing baseball? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's funny because I have we have two kids. I have a 10-year-old boy and a, and a 7-year-old girl, and I coached a 10-year-old boy his uh, baseball team for the last five or six years. And, you know, it's funny. It gets you going back to, to what you were doing when you were 10 years old. And uh, I started baseball way back, probably seven years old. I was, because of the birthday cutoff, I was older for my, my, my grade. So I got in, uh, my parents were, my dad was a self-proclaimed math nerd with a pocket protector and he uh, was loved drag racing. Uh, and my mom, she was a little bit more athletic. She was a cheerleader, played a little softball, but, but neither, neither of my parents were really pushing me into baseball. It was just, Hey, there's tryouts for baseball, little league. Do you want to go? So I ended up going and ended up falling in love with it. So seven, probably around that nine, 10, I got my first, I think it was Don Mattingly baseball card. And uh, he was one of my favorites in the beginning. And then Mark McGuire became the guy. Uh, and so that, the the World Series at that time, so when I was eight, it was 88. When I was nine, it was 89. Uh, and then 10, it was 90, 90, right? So the Oakland A's became my favorite player. The, the green was my favorite color. So the A's became my, my favorite team. Um, and so, we, you know, I got to kind of see, I, I don't remember the, the loss to the Dodgers, which kind of sucked in that 88 series. Uh, but Kirk Gibson, the home run was, was kind of cool. But uh, I do remember the, the A's sweeping the Giants four games in 89 with the earthquake and all that, and then 90 getting swept by the Reds. So there was three good years there where the A's uh, were, were, were on top of the world. And then from, you know, this year, I think they're on pace to lose 120 games. So they've come a long way, uh, not in a good way. So that was really the spark for baseball in my life. And that was, that was the time. I think my son is in that same area. Now he, he, he's kind of like baseball. I haven't really worked with him until this year. I gave him the choice. If he wanted to start jumping into my small private groups that I do uh, hitting groups. Uh, but he really started uh, soccer for the first time this last year. It was his first year. We wanted to get him the year before, but it just didn't work out and just absolutely fell in love with it and got obsessed with it. And I think for him, the difference was the World Cup last last summer, and that was that was the thing he really got fired up about. Just like with me, with the A's three consecutive years making it to World Series, got me uh, fired up about baseball. So that was I was kind of the the early on, and then I ended up you know obviously playing through little league and and junior high, high school. My last year in high school, we were we were we're uh, champ, champions. Our last year, we ended up winning our uh, Central Valley Central Valley championship in high school, and then I ended up getting a full ride. 
to play at Fresno State. So I played at Fresno State for for four years. For some out there wondering if I was on that magical 2008 team, I wasn't. That was after me. That was my last year was 2003. So I played three years with Coach Bennett, who ended up coaching 34 years at Fresno State and got inducted, I think, into the NCAA Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame in 2013. Uh, and then I played for Coach ben, uh, Batesel, who was the coach – at uh, 2008 when they won the World Series. So it was his first year was my last year at Fresno State. So that that kind of rounds about from where I started to, um, you know, my my career ending over at Fresno State. Man, what a great rundown. It brought back so many memories just sitting here listening to you talk. First, I was thinking about the cutoff. Uh, my son, I'm, I'm very familiar with the cutoff. If, I, if I'm not mistaken – the cutoff date is like May 1st or something for the Little League. At least it was when my son was playing. And he was an April birthday, so he was super young, which in reality probably weighed a lot in his favor as he kind of went through his baseball career because he was always playing with kids older than him. But I thought that was kind of fascinating. And I loved you talking about the A's. All I could picture in my mind was Dennis Eckersley the whole time you were talking. You know, those A's – Right. It was Eck. It was that that whole lineup was legit. You had Dave Henderson, Ricky Henderson, McGuire, Canseco, Steinbeck. You know, you had all of them. Carney Lansford, who was who made an appearance funny the other day. What which uh, baseball movie was it? Was it was it Angel? Was it Angels in the Outfield? I think it is. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It was <laughs> big giant loser hitter that that the the Angel Angels in the Outfielder or was uh, rookie of the year. One of those that he has to face at the end to strike out, you know, Carney Lansford. <laughs> and of course they had Jose Canseco too, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah those, those were some really good teams that they had. It's a shame to kind of see what's happened to major league baseball. You know, I always think that um, I love capitalism, right? But I don't know if it necessarily works in sports. And uh, you look at the way the NFL is running and it's a different league really compared to major league. I mean, the big market teams have such an advantage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, at least in until all the 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 cat was out of the bag in 2001 with Moneyball. I read that book by Michael Lewis, and that was like the Oakland A's telling everybody the secret that was allowing them to compete with the Yankee, the big mar big budget, big marketing teams, the the Yankees and the Mets and everybody else, and they just let the cat out of the bag and really sh shot themselves in both feet. <laughs> Absolutely, that was a great movie too. Hey, yeah. and thanks for going through your uh, your baseball career as well. Man, I tell you what, you, that was a nice transition. You kind of got to play with both coaches there. And, uh, and, and tell us a little about your career at Fresno State. You know, I mean, like, what positions did you play? And really, what were some of your strengths? And, and maybe a couple things that ultimately held you back that you were trying to improve upon. Yeah, so I, I was an outfielder. I transitioned to the outfield. I always tell I always talk tell my hitters about this, my especially my high school guys, is I transitioned from shortstop and I pitched I pitched quite a bit up until about my sophomore year in high school. And I just remember I think it was the tryout. Most of us that were you know we were pretty good. We weren't trying out to make the team. We were all going to make the team. It was just at tryout at shortstop. We probably had half a dozen guys, and of those half a dozen guys. There were a few that ended up at Fresno State I played with at, on full ride scholarships. There were there was one that ended up at Pepperdine and almost full ride, ninety five percent. We had another guy that was like a master's college. We had got we had and I, I turned around, I looked back and I saw all these guys at shortstop, all trying out for shortstop. And it wasn't that I 
I couldn't compete with those guys. It was just that I looked in the outfield and I see nobody out there, nobody. So I was like, you know, I could, I would love to play center field. I could run. And so I decided to, to do center field. So that sophomore year, we even had a coaching change there too in high school. We went from one coach who had been a, a just a legacy, a winning legacy there at Bullard for such a long time. And he ended up over at another high school uh, with a new coach who I really liked. And I ended up starting every game my sophomore year because we really didn't have much competition in, in the outfield. And I was much better than everybody out there. Um, I was a good athlete, played soccer. That was my second sport. And didn't, I did uh, three years of mixed martial arts and stuff like that. So I was a pretty good athlete. And, and you take a shortstop, a, a decent shortstop, I thought I was, and moved into center field. So that's what I did. I got rid of my cup. Didn't have to wear my cup anymore because the ball was center, you know. And I never, never put a cup back on again. And I was lucky. Would I probably wouldn't promote that or encourage that with with others? But uh, you know, for me, it worked out. So I ended up playing, uh, being recruited to play center field or outfield over at Fresno State, and and I played pretty much center field most of the time. I played. I think I made one error in all four years mm. or two errors or something like that. So I had a pretty good. Fielding percentage. I was a big diver. You know, I dove for stuff. I uh, had a pretty good risk reward. Um, you know, I wasn't making stupid, stupid bonehead things. But um, I ended up, if you take all four years at Fresno State offensively, I think I hit like 250. Um, I had maybe 11, 12 homers in total. And I think most of those homers came my junior year. I hit like eight or nine that year. Uh, and then, uh, so I, I was a gap to gap guy. We played in a big park. Uh, Fresno State's a pretty decent sized park. It's I think it's 400, 410, something like that, just straight away, 330 down the line, 360, pretty traditional dimensions. Uh, when it gets hot, it flies out. But, you know, for most of the season, it's it's pretty moderate temperatures, if not cold. So um, I could go out oppo. But the problem was, and this is where you ask where the weakness maybe was or what I could have changed and gone back on was I was being taught in that, in that time, and this was in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, it was very much a swing down and through swing pattern. That was pretty much being taught all across the board. And what's interesting is fast forwarding to now, one of the hitting strategies of seven that we use is barrel pass. So, the, so in our program, we have two barrel paths. We have swing up and swing down. We use swing down whenever the ball is middle up or middle in located by the pitcher. And we swing up whenever it's middle away, middle down. So I was being taught to swing down all the time. I was really good up in the zone and I was really good in, uh, in, but I was not as good middle away and middle down because I was applying a swing down barrel path. So could I run into a ball and hit a, hit a ball apotaco? I could, and I had, I, I could do it with wood, but the timing had to be perfect in order to do that. But there was nobody there to, to tell me, to, tell me that. So that alone, if I would have had somebody just give me that that little snippet of, of uh, information, I probably could have been, if I had done that all four years in college, I, I would have hit at least 300, at least, uh, career, career-wise. But, you know, I took a, it was kind of an inferior hitting hitting strategy, and and that's just kind of what happened, right? So now I get to teach all my hitters to, to not do that and to make sure only they're doing that in certain uh, scenarios when they're hunting middle in or middle up. Um, but when they're, when they're got pitchers that are throwing away and locating away and down that they're changing that barrel pass so that they don't, uh, swing and miss as many times as I did. Hey, thanks for that rundown. I tell you what, and a couple of things just kind of jumped out at me while you were talking one little snippet that you threw in, you know, talking about your high school career, you said you also played soccer. I love that. Cause I was thinking about, 
I didn't know if you were like, oh my goodness, my son's really falling in love with soccer and not baseball. But it sounds like no, not only were you a great athlete, but you obviously his soccer was kind of like number two. You played a ton of soccer as well. So I, I love that connection between, you know, you and your son. That, that's pretty awesome right there. And then the second thing, yep. thinking about everybody trying out at shortstop. I mean, isn't that always kind of the way? I mean, your best athlete is going to be at shortstop. And I think that you just really strategically made a very, obviously a very smart move for yourself. Boy, it, it led to a fantastic uh, college opportunity and you took full advantage of it. So that was pretty smart thinking right there on your part. And then the last piece, man, all I could think about at the end when you were kind of describing um, your weaknesses, quote unquote, in hitting, it really kind of made me think about guys that have suffered injuries over their career, young in their career, and it kind of led them into the medical field or physical therapy field or whatever it is, because it was one of those things that kind of gnawed at them. And they went on and were able to help other people. And they would have a lot of empathy and they could kind of understand where somebody was struggling or where somebody was hurt. And it just kind of leads to, it's just kind of fascinating for me to think, you know, you probably, you probably realized that you could have been hitting better in college and couldn't quite put your finger on what was going on. And it probably kind of stuck in the back of your mind and it's really led to a career. Right. Yeah. And and now I get to help so many hitters and I'm okay in my life and and a lot of the, the different challenges in my life that I have faced, that I am facing, that I will face. I always, I try and go into it with an open mind. And if it, if I have to be the guy that has to go through the wall get bloody through the wall, be the first guy through so that I can basically what I could tell my hitters to pay the dumb tax, right? If I have to pay the dumb tax, you don't have to, I don't mind doing that. Like I can swallow my pride. I can, I can do what a lot of people don't want to do, take that risk. Uh, And if I fall, I fall. And then that's my fault. I can take, I can take action for that, but I don't mind. I don't mind taking the falls and pay the dumb tax so that my hitters don't, don't have to do that. Right. And so that's, when we do our small private groups and one-on-ones and, and my coaches online and, and my hitters online and things like that, that are, that are either doing online lessons or doing the online courses. I want to give the best information that is available based on testing, experience, research, things like that. Um, so hopefully we can shorten that learning curve to a point where a hitter can get results within a day, positive, predictable results within a day or a week. It should not take, two weeks, a month, five months to see predictably positive results uh, with what we have access to nowadays with with uh, expertise, with um, technology and things like that. And and just using your brain, discernment, critical thinking and putting together a system, um, you know, like we've done a hitting strategy is probably one of my favorites that we've been kind of molding for the last 10 years and finding out and, and not really thinking up it's just trying different things it doesn't work we throw it away uh, we tried this it works uh, so we use it so it's basically it's it's taking my career and uh building off of it it wasn't you know it's not it's 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 not Aaron Judge by any uh, sense like last year you know breaking the single season American League home run record it's not it's nothing like that not even close but I have many hitters around me that are getting multiple hits in tournaments. They're going, you know, I have, I have a girl who's uh, nine for 15 in her last tournament playing. She's 14 U. She's playing girls that are two, three years older than her. And, uh, you know, I have boys doing the same thing, going five for seven in a tournament and going um, eight for eight for 16. You know, they're batting 500, 600, 700 in the tournament. Why, why can't, why isn't that possible? Like, why can't we do that? But 
I think with a lot of the coaching out there, they, they only see the 300, 400, and they think that is the best. They think that is the, the most they can get out or highly optimized, but it's really not. I mean, it, uh, my hitters routinely are, are 500, 600, 700, and it's really it's a lot of the, the things that I've learned along the way, uh, playing experience-wise, but then also building on and, and what I'm seeing and, and what is just a better, better programming. Hey, everybody that's joining, thank you so much for being here. If you join late, don't worry about it. We record this space so that we can retweet it out later in its entirety. Hey, tonight we're talking with Joey Myers. He's a former Division I player. He went to uh, Fresno State, and now he is helping a multitude of hitters. And, in fact, Joey, why don't you just tell us the name of your company and exactly what it is that you're doing? Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, and welcome to all those that have, that have joined. So I'm – so I started HittingPerformanceLab.com back in 2014, I think. And it first started off as I wanted to put a, a course together that reflected a lot of the research I was doing. After I got done playing, had some time to, to really think about things, working with hitters, trying to teach them the same thing I was taught growing up. And I just didn't find that it was it was lending any predictable positive results. It was very unpredictable. And... It didn't seem like there was a lot of control over the system, how their result, how their out game outcomes were, and so it it was it all culminated to a point where we had our first first child, and that was Noah's ten now, so it was ten years ago, and I started to dig into the sciences of things. So at the time, it was more of a bi biomechanics is where I was diving into, and it was the author was Thomas Myers. We're not directly related, but I'm sure somewhere on the family tree were related. He wrote a book called Anatomy Trains. And I was, at the time, I had an inner, kind of a chronic inner knee tightness that I was trying to fix. And I don't know how I chose this book or, or whatnot, but I was going on Amazon in my sleepless nights with the with the baby being up all the time. And I, I got this book and started reading it. And it was interesting. It was talking about fascial planes and fascial uh, system. There was nine different fascial trains that Thomas Myers was talking about, and interesting. It was interesting concept. Never heard of it before. And and he'd give like, hey, this is where it's dysfunctional. This is how you fix it. And I was teaching yoga at the time, so I was I was working with people in the weight loss, like physical training, doing physical training, weight loss. And I really liked the movement sciences. So if somebody came in with a bad knee or ankle or hip or whatever, I always like to to try and troubleshoot that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, and am not a physical therapist, but it just kind of excited me, that kind of stuff, and my passionate curiosity. Um, and so he gave the fixes and they were in yoga type uh, forms, yoga stretches and things like that. So I really got that. And then that started the rabbit hole that went really, really deep and really, really wide. So it got me thinking outside of my upbringing, my coaching upbringing, my baseball coaching upbringing and all the coaches that I've learned from, the hitting coaches that I had and learned from, pitching coaches, all that stuff. And it had me start to question what it was I was being, what I was taught, but then also how we can optimize. And it was just an interesting world that wasn't being discussed, wasn't being talked about online at the time. Now there's more of it there, people talking about spinal engine mechanics and fascia and things like that. There's a lot more of that talk now, but it took a while. I took talking about going through the wall and getting bloody. I, that first uh, year and a half on Facebook, man, people attacked me like no other. It was like I had kicked their dog, uh, killed their dog, uh, slapped their wife. I mean, it was crazy how angry these people were. 
uh, at what what it was the content that I was putting out, and I and I, of course I you know I'm, I'm trying to get a rise out of him too. I wasn't innocent, but I was I was trying to pick fights as well. I was young, you know, I was in my mid twenties, and of of course you know I'm going to pick a fight. Uh, but I knew because I had done swing experiments that this stuff was much more superior than what was being taught. And I was not just that I knew it, but I was seeing it with my hitters and it was becoming predictable. It was becoming like a light switch. You turn on the light switch, as long as everything's functioning, the light's going to go on. You turn it, you turn it off, it's going to go off. And so if a player, one of my players wanted power, you flip the light switch on. There were certain, there was three big things that we, uh, that we were working on. One was creating neck pressure. So what that means, at, we first started teaching that is showing the numbers to the pitcher. The hitter shows their numbers to the pitcher. Um, but what I was finding is it was it was pulling hitter, uh, hitters' heads off the ball. So we say that the the head is the the anchor point. It is the most important track. It has to be, hold the tracking position, and then that front shoulder needs to come underneath that chin as far as it can, come in as far as it can before it, it's going to pull the head off. It doesn't. So the, the hitter will feel some neck pressure. That's the, the the number one. Then the second one is a, a slight down shoulder angle. So it's a little bit of a side bend in the in the front rib cage. So that front shoulder drops a little bit down below the back shoulder at stride landing. And then the third one was, we called it hiding hands. So the hitter hiding their hands from the pitcher or the, some are familiar with the scapula pinch. Um, so pinching hard on the backside because you have to counterbalance the front side move where you're, for those that, that understand scapula protraction. So moving that shoulder in under the chin and, and farther if they can, um, have to counterbalance that move with a scapula retraction on the backside. So that was like a light switch. And what happened was, I was in the midst of writing a book and I didn't know what the title to do, uh, but I, I liked catapult loading system and I, the catapult, uh, catapult loading I had gotten from Thomas Myers and some of the, uh, some of the other offshoot people, super smart people that I was reading and going down in those rabbit holes. So I like catapult loading and then I system is always great catapult loading system, but what would the subheadline be? And I was getting emails and, and emails from coaches that were teaching the same thing. I was uh, the content I was putting out, they were teaching their hitters and they were getting the same, if not better results than I was with mine. They were getting hitters like 65 pounds, 67 pounds hitting the ball, 180 plus feet there, hundred pound hitters hitting the ball, 300 plus feet, 135 pound hitters hitting the ball, 400 plus feet or 380 plus feet. So they were, tripling their body weight and batter ball distance. And, and so what I did was I, I said, okay, catapult loading system, uh, how to teach 100 pound hitters to consistently drive the ball 300 feet. And that's where that book came from. And then from January 7, uh, 2017, when I published it to January, 2018, it became an Amazon bestseller um, because you have a lot of little hitters out there, little guys and girls that uh, lack power. And once they turn the light switch on, they were hitting with power. So, um, so really interesting, uh, how the, how the journey, uh, from trying to fix my own in, inner knee tightness to being able to help hitters get more predictable, uh, in this case, uh, power, you know, predictable, positive outcomes. No doubt. So Joey, I've got to ask you, I mean, there is so much science, right. That you're kind of talking about here. What, did that come from Fresno state? Were you like an exercise science major or literally this just piqued your curiosity and you just kept going down a rabbit hole and figuring it out on your own. You were self-educated. Yeah. Good question. I was a criminology major and a law enforcement option in college. <laughs> so I wasn't a, if I would have done it all over again, I probably would have been a Kines major. Yeah. Uh, because I just, I just loved, 
I love the body. Like my thing is it's God, family, and then just human movement, like what, whatever it is. Right. And so I, I started going down, I was a physical, physical fitness trainer right out of college. And because I just loved working out and I figured that I could help others and help transform lives. People want to lose weight, help them lose weight. If they wanted to put weight on muscle wise, we could do that. So really it was a passionate curiosity of mine. I'd gotten certifications to train people and I got multiple ones. And then I, I, I mentioned I got yoga and then I got corrective exercise science from uh, NASM. And then I got uh, the FMS functional movement screen. And so it was just really interesting to me how the body over time, you know, you could take a person who's a, who's a desk, desk jockey, you know, they're always sitting at their desk, like a lot of us are and how their body forms to the, it forms to the position that we tend to be in mostly. And so what you have to do is you have to get the body doing the opposite in order to balance it out. There always has to be some sort of a balance. And because we're repetitive, humans are repetitive, human beings, they, they tend to do the same thing over and over and over. The brain's lazy. It, it would rather just keep doing the same thing over and over. It doesn't really want to change. So it was really fascinating to me to dig into that part of it. And, and I did, I dug, I mean, that whole, I don't know everything. Uh, but I have a really good understanding of human movement and how it applies to hitting in, in what I teach. But what's interesting is I have a good friend who was a multiple, you know, second, third degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And we'd meet for, for tea and, and lunch pretty regularly. And we would talk and we would talk about the same stuff, spinal injury mechanics, but he would talk about it in terms of breaking a body down using spinal engine mechanics to break a body down. And I would talk about it, how to, how to optimize performance. So he was using a, say like a head, like if we take the head and we pull uh, the chin, like in a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu move where you take the chin or, or the, uh, say the right ear into the right shoulder, we pull the head into the right there. So there's no gap between the right ear and the right shoulder. Well, that puts the body in a very compromised position. And so because of that, you can maneuver the body better. You can move that body around much more, effectively. Um, whereas in hitting, if we do the same move and, and it is something that Bryce Harper used to do lefty, but it was his left ear, left shoulder. So he would swing and his left ear would go right into his left shoulder. Um, uh, Prince Fielder did that for a lot of his career. And I think that was a big, one, one of the big factors in why he ended up having neck fusion surgery and then ended up out of the game, um, was because he would swing so hard and that, that left ear would go into his left shoulder he just wham, slam it down every, every time he swung. So you're talking hundreds of thousands of swings he took like that, finally just wore a hole in his neck. Um, and so we, and Bryce Harper has fixed that recently. Another example was Andrew McCutcheon. His chin would go into his chest at impact, like so hard that his helmet visor would go over his eyes and come back up, like bounce down and come back up. I think even Bryce Harper swung so hard one time his ear, this was like probably three, four years ago, where that, that left ear in his left shoulder, he did it so hard that his helmet actually flopped off his head in his swing. Um, so that kind of movement we fix in our hitters. We make sure that they are not doing that. Um, after that first, you know, that first lesson with me, they, we, we try and stop that because it, it is a health factor. So those are the things that my buddy, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy, he was looking to do to his opponent to be, to be able to maneuver their body and break their body down versus us, we were trying to minimize that kind of movement in order to get the hitter to optimize uh, their swing. So really cool stuff in the, you know, back 10, you know, 10 years ago when I started this journey, really cool stuff that really became, it really colorized the hitting world that 
I couldn't understand why nobody else had stumbled onto this stuff. Well, it's a good thing that you did, I tell you. And I love listening to you, Joey. There, I mean, there's just so much passion in your voice, and you're so excited about it. And you have such a depth of knowledge that I'm, I'm, and I appreciate you kind of holding back just a little bit because I think you would blow me certainly away. And, and you may even kind of intimidate our, our core audience just a little bit. But man, I love listening to you talk. I've got to ask you something. You know, one thing, right? I, I think it was the last segment where you brought up uh, batting averages and so forth in tournaments and, and what guys and girls are doing. Do you apply basically those same three main principles, like with the neck pressure, the, the slight shoulder angle, and hiding hands with a softball player, the same as you do with a baseball player? Same, same, same thing. Yep. So my girls are doing it. And my, my, my boys are doing it. They're all doing it because it's, it's, a, it's a human body effect, right? Of course, there are anatomical differences between boys and girls, but how to load the spine. The spinal engine works exactly the same for both. With again, maybe the anatomical, you know, the the way the center center gravity is between boys and girls, there are some differences. Obviously, I'm not going to say there there aren't, but all spines there are there are uh, four, well, three basic movements of the spine. This is the spinal engine theory by Dr. Serge Grakovetsky. So this is a guy that I read his book. He's a physicist and a uh, what is he? Electrical engineer. And he's the one that that put this together. It's a really good book, The Spinal Engine. It's really thick and jargony. I wouldn't recommend it for a lot. I didn't I didn't probably – what I pulled out of that book was probably 20% of what I understood, but I did understand enough to, to figure it out. But he, he says there's three basic spinal movements, and he groups spinal flexion and extension as one, which is if, if I do a crunch, my lower back's going into flexion. If I arch my back, I'm going into extension. Um, if you're standing normal and neutral, your lower back has a slight curve to it. So – um, he calls that lordosis. That is an extension, right? So extension, just standing there, you're already in an in extension. So extension flexions one. The the second one, technically, uh, according to him, is side bend or side flexion. So um, so that's just tilting to the side, taking my my left shoulder and then bending it towards my left hip um, or my right shoulder, uh, moving it closer to my right hip. The the third one is axial rotation and all that means is that our shoulders it's like a gear shift our shoulders and our and our pelvis or our lower back so basically you know you got three pieces of the spine you got the cervicals you got the thoracic and then which is the middle part and then you got the the lumbar which is the bottom so those pieces if you think about them like three hands um you have the the hand on top and the hand on bottom the cervical and the lumbar they move the same i mean the head can move independent um but they, they would move the same when it comes to the swing so the head takes an anchoring position. The pelvis, we keep in neutral. We don't really turn it in towards the hip, uh, towards the catcher, like some people say the load is. We just keep it in neutral. They're basically kind of facing similar directions. And it's the middle portion or the shoulders or the thoracic part of the spine that, that moving that front shoulder in, creating neck pressure, is loading up the top portion of it. And then as the bottom, as you start to turn and the pelvis starts to open or the, the hips start to open because uh, they do the first move, then that loads up, that takes the slack out of the bottom part, um, of the bottom hand. So it's like um, wringing a towel out. You have one hand on top, one hand on bottom, and, you, and you're, you're wringing in opposite directions to wring the towel out, except you have three hands um, in that sense. And so axial rotation is just the gear shifting of the shoulders and the hips where you have your right arm coming forward and your left leg, and then your left leg coming forward and your uh, right arm, right? So it's this constant 
um, opposites that are that are happening there. So those three main movements, spinal flexion, extension, side bending, and axial rotation, that happen when we walk. This is basic locomotion. Um, this is why I just didn't understand why nobody was talking about this 10 years ago or, or eight years ago. And we all we do in the swing is we manipulate those pieces to preload the spinal engine. That's all we're doing. So when I say create neck pressure or showing the numbers, uh, creating that slight down, downhill shoulder angle. So we're doing a side bend. That's what that is. We already have the either the lumbar uh, lordosis, the, the neutral spine, or what we like to do is sometimes we go flexion of the lower back because some hitters, when they swing, uh, and a lot of times it's how they're being taught to swing, they really arch their lower back as they're turning, which is another no-no, just like with the head stuff, the head movement stuff. We talked about with Prince Fielder and Bryce Harper and Andrew McCutcheon. Um, but when you arch your back, you're pushing the vertebrae together, and then you add a turn into that, and now you're grinding. So we don't want to do that. You're going to – what's crazy is that I have parents down in L.A. that find some of the pieces, uh, blog posts on my site that that uh, go into this, and it, it really talks about what is causing that. Like what, what is causing a pars fracture, from what I've learned, a pars fracture in the lower back at age 14 and 15. And it's funny because people search. It's not funny, but it's funny because people search uh, lower back pain, baseball swing, 14 years old, lower back pain, uh, baseball or softball swing, 15 years old. They're actually searching that on Google. And it made me think, oh, my gosh. So what ha what's happening is these kids are starting out at six, seven years old. They're they're arching their back and turning for eight years, six years, eight years. And it finally culminates to or accumulates to 14, 15 years old, the pars fracture develops. So before that, they're feeling stiffness in their lower back and, and they're feeling tightness in their lower back and they don't think anything of it after a practice. Um, but what's happening is because of their swing, they're really doing some damage to those lower lumbar, which are actually the lumbar are not made to rotate. The bones in the lumbar are not made to rotate. Um, they're only made to flex and extend. And, and because of the muscles surrounding them, you get about a seven to 12 degree rotation in the, in that lower back. Um, and so what I always say is, is let the, let the bones and, and muscles that are, that are good with rotating, let them rotate and that the ones that aren't don't, don't let them rotate. Um, and so really we were, we we're taking a system that not only was increasing ball exit speed with the capital loading system, but it was also safe for the hitter swing for their, for their back. And I see a lot of on Twitter, I see a lot of swings, um, from a, a there, there's a certain I'm not going to say it. There's a certain hitting philosophy out there that I see a lot of these kinds of swings where they're arching and turning lower backs. And all I see is I see uh, horrible pars fractures in many, many of these hitters coming through, especially when they get to that 14, 15 year old year. Absolutely, Joy. I got to tell you, I mean, I have seen and heard of so many kids complaining about their backs hurting over the years, you know, just thinking about our youth baseball experience. And that is a very, very common complaint. Glad to have heard and listened to you kind of go through what was causing that potentially. And I think you're right, 100%. And that's fascinating mm -hmm. stuff. And I can relate to it. I'm a golfer. I grew up a golfer. You know what? I've had back mm -hmm. surgery. I mean, it's a very similar type situation rotating around swinging a golf club hey everybody that's joining tonight thank you so much we absolutely appreciate it uh, i mentioned earlier we record this space and one of the reasons we record it we turn it into a podcast the podcast is now d1 speaks 
and it is available on every platform imaginable out there. And uh, if this is something that you enjoy, and I hope you do, go out and find it, subscribe to it, uh, listen. And if you want to give us a five-star rating, I certainly would appreciate it. Uh, Tonight, we're talking with Joey Myers. He is the founder of Hitting Performance Lab. And I've got to ask you something, Joey. You know, why is why is hitting a baseball just so hard? And (laughs) and your principle right and your principles. I know you have individual clients. You've already kind of walked through that. But but are you also working with hitting coaches or parents in any any type of form? Yeah. So what I always tell my hitters and my coaches is that that hitting isn't easy, but we can make hitting easier. <laughs> I like <And> that. <laughs> it is probably the you know that was a Ted Williams said that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in any sport. Well, I think hitting a baseball consistently hard is the hardest thing to do in any sport. I mean, I challenge anybody out there from the basketball, the soccer, the the football, the golf. I mean, golf is is up there too, but you're not you're not hitting a moving target that is designed to get the hitter out, right? Whether they're they're throwing it fast or slower, they're getting it to move up or down, in or out, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's still that's that's a there's a lot of unpredictableness with the pitch that the hitter doesn't have control over. Um, so it is, it is a hard thing, and I guess that's that's why I like it. That's why I like teaching it. Um, and I think that those that fall in love with hitting, I think that's why they like it as well, the hardness of it. You know, three out of ten hits in the big leagues gets you into the Hall of Fame. I think that whole thing, you can't do that on a test in school and, and, and past school, high school, middle school, any any level. You can't really do that. Um but I have, I have, so my, my local part of the business is mostly my kids, but I have my dads out there that are coaching teams. And so they sit in obviously, and I tell them, I, you know, I, I want my parents to be there. Some of my parents just drop the kid off, which is fine. That's I'm all good with that. And sometimes it's just mom and she doesn't care. Uh, fiddler's fart. What, uh, what, 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 uh, hitting, you know, what we're talking about and stuff. And that's all, that's all good. But I, I really like when the parents stick around to listen to what we're teaching Johnny or Sally so that they can reinforce it at home. So the local side, I'm not really working with too many coaches here and there. They come in and, and, and we kind of do some stuff, stuff together. I show them some things, but it's mostly online. Like the hitting performance lab.com is more geared towards the reaching those parents that are not here in Fresno, California in the central central Valley of California uh, can't can't drive to me or you know they can maybe fly to me but it's 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 going to take some time and money and all that kind of stuff but i have do-it-yourself courses online video courses that they can take and we have three different categories of of the swing well technically we got four or five but the three on the mechanical side are, are build more build more power consistent power hit more line drives and uh get on time more often so those are the three main buckets of mechanics that that I teach and 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 parents can come in and it's it's parents it's team coaches and instructors basically that are purchasing those courses and 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 getting those courses and so I created it within those I've created really kind of simple simplified essential courses for more of those parents that don't want to like get super deep into it they just want to know hey just give me the top three to five things I need to do uh, to help my kid, like the big, the big bombs, right? The Moabs that are going to really help. And so I have courses that are more, I don't want to say dumbed down, but they're more distilled down to an easier digestible format. And then I have, and those are more for my parents and some team coaches, because in a team coaching environment, which I've done, 
um, you can't you can't dig in. You can't analyze every kid's swing and then go into each swing individually and and do that in a practice, or else that practice is going to be three hours long, two hours long. Especially when you're talking about ten year olds, I mean that's way too long, and then and they'll 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 have killed each other by the end. I think if um if you if you do something like that, right? Uh, and so I have deep dive courses, and those are more for those team coaches that are ready for that, and for more the instructors. Um, and and so I kind of divvy it up that way. And then I have a couple courses. One last year I just I just did was based on all the hitting strategies. I call it Rocket Hitting Formula, building better game hitters because that's a big thing where parents and the big question I always get, well, Johnny's got a great swing in the cage, but in the game, he can't really do it or she can't really replicate it or reproduce it. And they're not having predictable positive results. So the hitting strategies are what bridge the gap between that, that swing and uh, in the cage and the game swings. And that's how we're able to, my hitters go to a tournament and, and turn a tournament and they'll have, uh, they'll, they'll be batting 400, 500, 600, 700. Some of them, so uh, like I had one of my 10 year olds, uh, all stars yeah, last night, he went four for five hmm. and uh, you know, with a couple, couple uh, doubles. So it, it's not a rarity for that to happen. But for me, when I was playing, being taught just that debt swing down and through, it was a rarity for me to go three for four. It was a rarity for me to do like a four for four or five for five. It was, it was, it was left less often. Two for four was, was a little bit more often uh, but most of the time is one for three one for two you know that kind of thing but with this it's a reality it's predictable and um you know i don't care if they come in they haven't had much experience a hitter i've had those and within a year they're they're smashing balls um and, and maybe not as often as somebody's had maybe a couple years conditioning but man from what they started with 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 where where they are in a year is crazy and it doesn't have to take that long i mean we with within a week uh, you know, shouldn't take, it shouldn't take more than a month. I start to see some sort of predictable positive. But when you get somebody who's 11 years old, a girl who's never played softball, never touched a softball in her life. Um, yeah. You know, it might take a little bit longer than a week uh, to get her going, uh, but she'll catch up really, really quick to a lot of the girls that have been playing travel softball for four or five years. She'll, she'll catch up pretty quick with, with what we do. That's impressive, Joey. So let me ask you something for the non-locals, you know, you've got, uh, I, a kid, a prospect in Ohio, and yep. he wants to get in touch with you. Maybe his dad wants to get in touch with you. The, what's, one, what's the best way to find you? And then two, once they find you, do they just order a package online or would it be, do you do any counseling? You know, like jump on a phone call, maybe do a Zoom call, kind of get an understanding of what it is, where, you know, a little bit of a history and then advise on packages going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Uh, so my biggest thing is content, right? I mean, there's so much, there's so many hitting guys out there, especially on Twitter. I mean, they're everywhere. And I even jokingly, sarcastically referred to him in my catapult loading system book as hitting guru number 57. Um, so there's many out there and IG, I mean, all the other social media sites. And I'm sure anybody listening to this will, will be nodding their head right now. The, the challenge is, is finding the ones that are providing the, the most effective information, which is they're, they're focusing on the right things and then they're being efficient. So they're focusing on doing those things right. Um, so I'm all, all, all about content. So if somebody wants to reach out, first check me out first, go on to hittingperformancelab.com and check out the content and they can do a search, you know, whatever it is that they're looking 
to fix or whatnot, they can do a search. And I, I did a lot of search engine optimization work, rewording titles and things like that for the last couple of years uh, over. So I have like almost 400 blog posts. So there's a lot of information there. Um, so browse around, uh, check it out. I, you know, I have a YouTube, you know, YouTube, I have a lot of content too, a lot of videos and things like that. And so check some stuff out, uh, see, if you, see if you like it. If you don't like it, you don't like it, you know, you can leave and and whatnot. But if, if you're liking it and you want to take it a ne- next step further after digesting some of the content, you can you can either reach out to me there. You can go to the contact page. I think if you scroll all the way down in the footer, there's like contact, uh, contact me or something. Or you can email me, Joey, J-O-E-Y, at hittingperformancelab.com. And um, if you're interested in online lessons, so we do online lessons. You talk about Ohio. We've had uh, Boston. We've had uh, Maine. I got three brothers in Maine that I work with. Uh, we have Florida, Canada, we're all over the place, uh, international. And uh, you can go, it, when you land on hittingperformancelab.com and you can click on our course, our, our courses, which should be in the navigation bar, the main one, uh, you'll see all the courses there, but there's the feedback lab, which is online lessons. And so you can click on that and read through that and see if that's something that goes right up your alley, if that's something that um, you know might be a fit for you, um, then you can do that. And what's interesting with the online lessons uh, over the years, people said, well, how effective are those versus in person? And of course, in person is a little different because I'm in person. I can actually uh, I can actually be there. I can move, you know, if I needed to take a, a hand path and show them uh, physically, I can. I can't do that online. That's that's obviously the biggest con of um, online lessons. Um, but the the strength of online lessons is I'm not recording it, a local lesson. I'm not recording it. So I'm not going to send that recording to them so the kid can rewatch that over and over. I'm not recording the drill that there are drills that they're going to have to do. Uh, I'm not recording that and sending that to them and they can watch it over and over. So my local hitters have to, and I tell them, you need to have a player journal. You need to write down what we're working on. It doesn't have to be in my words, but in your words, what drills, what concepts, things like that, so that you, you're you going to forget half of that in 24 hours, and then you're going to forget half of that in 48 hours, right, another 24 hours. So you only remember 25% of the information we go over 48 hours later. So they need to, my local ones, I urge and encourage them to write stuff down in a journal. For my online ones, they don't have to do that because all they're doing is sending me video, and it, just, it, it could be just raw video of, say, like their chest view, uh, swing and maybe the pitcher's view or catcher's view, um, one or the other, doesn't have to be both. And what I'll do is I'll take that video, I'll snip it down a little bit so that I'm not the, the, the in-between times, and I will do a screen share video. It's like 15, we don't do like a, we don't do like a Zoom, a live Zoom analysis session because I like to talk baseball and that, that could be like a two or three hour conversation. I don't think my wife would be happy with me if I had, <laughs> if I was doing that with all my online lessons, you know? So to keep it short and concise, we do a 15 to 20 minute analysis. So we, we show their swing. We, we uh, bring up a model, a major league baseball model about like what we want them to do. This is what it's supposed to look like. And then um, we don't go over the drills in that analysis video, which is more analysis, uh, addressing any kind of concerns or questions they have in email, dad or mom. Uh, and then what I do is I, ha- I send them a one pager, has the link to the video analysis, and then it has kind of. 30,000 foot view concepts that we're working on could be the catapult loading system power, could be pitch plane dominator, hitting more line drives, or could be reaction time mastery is more of like vision tracking timing. Um, And then I have specific drills. I have, I think, a list of 34, 35 drills or 33 or something like that. 
um, that I will say, okay, I want Sally to do drill number four, eight, and 11. And what they'll do is in the back end, in the feedback lab dashboard, they will go in and they will, will look, look at those drill videos and then that's, that's where they get it. So they can watch those drills as many times as they want. They can watch the video analysis as many times as they want. Um, and then in the, after the first one, we hop on a, on a Zoom call with dad or mom for 20, 30 minutes and we talk about, you know, answer any questions they have. Um, we talk about the training, how to train the drills and, and do stuff. We do overload, underload training and we do some timing training. So we just make sure that dad knows or mom knows what what they're doing on the other side of the computer. Um, and, and, and granted, like my parents that come in locally, a lot of them don't really know. They don't know what I teach. They hear from Johnny's dad or Sally's mom that, hey, uh, you know, they'll ask, hey, who's, who's Johnny going to? Is he is he going to hitting coach? Is Sally going to hitting coach? They'll say, oh, yeah, Joey Myers, you know, he's they're, they're working with him. And that's really all they know coming into it. They don't know what I teach. But online, uh, those those parents that come in, typically they purchase courses by me. They've read my book. They've they've uh, watched YouTube videos. They've been on my hitting performance lab site for a while. Some some have been following me for eight months, uh, a couple years, and they're just ready to pull the trigger on the online lesson. So by the time I get them, they pretty much have a good idea of what they're doing. They just need me to do the heavy lift, lifting for them and to tell Johnny or Sally what they need to be working on for their specific swing. So, I, you know, you say, hey, what's better, online or in person? I think both are pretty dang – We're pretty, and the results are there online. Like I get the result, the, this, almost the same predictable positive – results with my online as I do with my local. I think the results are pretty much the same. So I can't really say which is better. Obviously, I'd like to be there with the hitter, but you know, if they're in Ohio, I'm mean, just going to take a lot of money to, to fly out here, a lot of money and time to, to fly out here and work with me. So um, so a lot more online, obviously, since the, the 2020 uh, thing. Absolutely. Uh, two really unique customer bases. It's almost like you have two separate companies that you're running. Right. Yeah, I love it. Hey, that's a great breakdown. Again, everybody that's joining us tonight, thank you so much. We absolutely appreciate you being here. As I said, we have a podcast, Now D1 Speaks. If you're a 23, 24, 25, uncommitted, or you're a junior college, and uh, you're at JUCO, you're looking to transfer schools, and this type of environment you would want to be a part of, please reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, at now underscore D1. I will tell you that we are booked through the end of July. But we have availability in August, and we're going to run this series all the way through August and into the fall. And uh, tonight we're talking with Joey Myers. He runs Hitting Performance Lab. And I got to tell you, Joey, you know, really our core audience are primarily uncommitted high school prospects looking to play at the next level. And our primary listeners and subscribers are college coaches. And what I have found is that coaches are very, very much interested in the character of the kids that they're recruiting. They want to know what their achievements are off the field as much as they want to know what they are on the field. You know, they can get the stats, they can get the video, they can see the skill level, and they know, the, they know what they need. But the question is always kind of hanging out there, what, really, what's this kid like off the field? And this type of environment really gives those kids an opportunity to say, hey, this is who I am and this is what I've achieved and, and I'm a responsible person and this is why you're, you're able to count on me, coach, kind of going forward. So with that kind of in mind, Joey, I'm just wondering, you know, I don't know how intimate you are 
still looking at college baseball and college baseball recruiting. But I'm just kind of curious, maybe even with your own experience when you were coming out of um, out of high school and about to go to Fresno State, what do you think of the current environment that is recruiting right now, especially when you kind of take in the new contact rules, when you can actually make contact in the transfer portal? Just kind of curious as to maybe what your take is. Sure. Yeah, good question, Alan. It, uh, and I know we talked on the phone about this too. And it's, I think it's gotten, I think it's gotten more complicated at first. Well, I think it's a leveling of the playing field with the portal, with the D1 uh, portal. I think that's, I think that's a help to the D1 recruits that are in, or the D, D1 players that are in the actual that are playing. In the past, I think the the problem was that these kids were being allowed to commit their seventh and eighth grade years. And it was happening in the girls softball because I'd had online lessons way back when, when that was happening. Uh, and then up until recently, it's been happening in baseball. And what happens is, is that player has, has no leverage in that scenario. There is nothing that's been signed. There's just been a, a word that the player has given to the coach. Well, if you got a player that's committing at, in the seventh or eighth grade, there's a lot of development time that still has to happen. And there's injuries that could happen. There's grades that might not happen or could happen. And there's so many factors that by the end of that, if the player gets injured and has a horrible arm, but they were fine seven, eight, or in, in what we've been talking about, say a pars fracture in their back, by the time they're 14, 15 years old, they're developing a pars fracture, but they committed to a, a D1 school when they were 13 and they're, what, that pars fracture wasn't there anymore. Well, if that player doesn't fix that, and by the time they get to their junior, senior year and they got a bad back, well, do you think that D1 coach is still going to give them a full ride and have them come in? Heck no. I mean, it's not and, – and heck no, they're not going to. And that's not going to look bad on them. That's that's going to be – they're going to say, well, you got a bad back. Sorry, we're not – you're sorry, sorry, not sorry type of thing. And and, and that's not and that's not a good thing. And that, the player's just not – doesn't have much leverage in that scenario. But if you flip the tables, player player commits seventh grade – Senior year decides, you know what? I don't know if I want to go to Fresno State now. I think I want to go to Long Beach State, uh, and and wants to renege on that verbal verbal commitment early on that they made way in their life that probably shouldn't shouldn't have been made. Um, then they're looked down on, and then they, then the coaches start blackballing them. You know, the coaching world in D one, I and there's there's a network that they know each other and they're good friends with each other, and some you know some are good friends, some are not. But they'll, bat, you know, not saying every coach would do this, but that is an option. That's an easy thing to do. Well, this guy, you know, he, 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 he didn't even live up to his commitment. Didn't even live, live up to his uh, commitment to me, you know, made six years ago. And the kid didn't even know, you know, who he was identity wise, but it's, it's the kid's fault and they get, they get blackballed or they get uh, out. So that was a challenge before the portal, I think helps with that. Now I'm not huge into that recruiting side, but the big, the big thing I help my hitters with, is not only you know the mechanics, the hitting strategy stuff, but also as they get into their uh, freshman, sophomore year in high school, sophomore year is probably more more so, is I uh, read this in a book one time. I thought it was the best advice on recruiting. So the thing is, is you have to put the legwork in. And a lot, of, a lot of these systems are set up now to make it easy for the recruiting process. Yeah, just pay 2,500 bucks a month and we'll recruit you, you know, be recruited.com, whatever it is. Right. And so you pay the money and they'll, they'll do the thing that I'm just going to tell you how to do. That's really easy. You just have to put the time in time into it. Um, and so you pay the money. We'll, we'll, we'll promote you. Or, you know, you, you put all your stats on Twitter every single day, put your stats and video and stats and video and stats and video. 
Um, well, everybody's doing that. So, and that's an easy thing to do. So anything that's easy to do, most people are going to do, and it doesn't cost anything to do it. So I read this, this advice in a book and I, and it wasn't really pertaining to baseball, but it was to football, I think, but it, it works in every, in every way. So what I tell my hitters when they, they get to about their sophomore year is I tell them boys or girls say, what I want you to do is, and I'll, and I'll give them an idea. If I think that they're D one material, I'll say, okay, I want you to research five D ones. I want you to find their recruiting coach, whoever the recruiting coach is, get all contact details, get their email, get their phone number, get their address. Uh, so you could send mail if you need to uh, get all that information, make a spreadsheet. So do that for five and make sure you're checking the schooling, the academics that they're kind of what you want to study. Obviously we change what we want to study in college. It doesn't really, but whatever it is. So make sure that the academics are there. That's number one. You're there for academics, but if you got a great baseball program, then that's, that's the other, that's the other piece that's icing on the cake. So get five D ones, uh, grab, you know, if you're, if you're more D2, but you know, your five D ones are your dream, then just do, just do kind of limited on the D one. So five, get about 10 D twos, get about 10 D threes and maybe like, I don't know, five to 10 NAIAs, just, just, just in case, just, just have options. So research all that stuff. Is it going to take time? Yes. going to take time, create a spreadsheet, have all that information there. And then what you're going to do, so that's step one, research, get all, get all that contact info. Step two is you're going to reach out, and now this is coming from a hitting perspective. You can do it from a pitching perspective or a general perspective, but from a hitter's perspective, I'm going to reach out to those recruiting coaches, the coaches in, in, involved in the recruiting, and I'm going to ask those coaches, what is it that you evaluate your hitters coming in? How do you evaluate them? Is it, do you want to see like ball exit speed? Do you want to see you know, some coaches launch angle? Um, do you want to see spraying the ball, being able to hit to all fields? Uh, do you want to see, you know, obviously game footage, but what game footage is, is the question, right? So what what is it that you're evaluating your hitters when you're recruiting for the hitters that you want to come in? You wait for those responses back. You may not get responses from some. And, and also to be also um, some of these coaches are traveling and you have to be empathetic to coaches if they don't get back to you for a couple of weeks or maybe even a couple months. So this is why you have to do this beforehand, like way in advance. So you're not doing this last minute, your senior year, you're, you're trying to do all this because coaches are busy. Um, so you have to, you have to be a little empathetic to coaches and their schedules and things. So be patient with the process. Don't get upset. And after two days, say, coach, you, you didn't you know, email me back or, or anything like that. So wait for the response. Once you get the response, say, if you get a coach that says, I love ball exit speed and I love to see hitters spraying the ball, that's what I'm looking for. Or it could be stats, right? I want to see your stats, which is probably going to be a given anyway. Um, so then what you do with your video, your game footage or or your batting cage footage video is you tailor that video to that coach. Because what I find is there's some coaches that do not want to hear you say launch angle. Ah, don't say it. No launch angle. I don't want to hear it. They hate the launch angle swing because they associate it with a lot of fly balls. Well, launch angle is just a measurement of a ball coming off the bat. It's just an angle, right? It doesn't mean anything, but some coaches have associated the launch angle swing, quote unquote, to a lot of fly balls. And so you don't, you know, you don't want to send just blanket video, game video to every coach, which would make it easy. And that's what everybody does. You want to, you want to make yourself unique, uh, unique as you reach out to that coach. So if that coach says, no, 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 I don't like the launch angle thing. Um, I just like to see ball exit speed and spraying the ball. So then you go out and you create video 
where it's showing your your uh, ball exit speeds. So you have a radar gun. You're maybe off a tee or or in a game or whatever. Um, hit tracks, whatever it is. So make a video that has a lot of that in it. Make another video of you spraying the ball. Could be game footage. Could be um, could be batting practice stuff or just hitting on a field. Just showing that you can do that. Um, create a video on that. Just a big big um, accumulation of video on that. And then do another video where you can control, we call them launch, uh, we call them controlling verticals so that my hitters don't say launch angle, uh, but it's controlling your launch angle. So showing coaches that you can hit line drives, you can also lift the ball and you can also hit it hard, um, you know, one hoppers on the ground, even though launch angle coaches that say they want more launch angle, um, barrel, barrel control swings, they like to see the doubles and dingers type stuff. So then you would have video that would showcase that. So you'd have these three sections of videos that you would just, Lego together, depending on what the coaches um, ask was. Um, so you're 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 customizing the approach to each coach, and that is not what people are doing. That is not what players that are high school getting ready to graduate are doing. They are taking the easy ro- ro- road to to do it, and that is going to take you a little bit more time. But it, it will make you stand out to to D one coaches, D two, three NAI, whatever it is, JUCOs, uh, whatever whatever the whatever the sauce, it's going to, it's going to help you, um, it's going to help you stand out. And so that's what I tell my hitters uh, long about their freshman, sophomore year. Um, Sometimes we'll have the younger hitters in the group with, with them like 11, 12. So they'll hear that. We'll, we'll plant the seed so that when they become freshman, sophomores, Hey, remember we were talking about how to, how to, uh, you're basically recruiting your coaches, you know, you're going out and you're, you're checking up on their systems and things. And then once you start to develop a relationship and a connection then uh, you know you get that junior year, maybe senior year. You go on a you go on a tour with them. They ask you to come out a recruiting tour, and then you want to start talking to the players uh, because that's where you're going to get a good idea of the program. You know, do they do they seem a little disgruntled? Are are they having fun? Are they progressing? Are they getting better? And so then you kind of get a little bit deeper into it. But the initial outreach. That's what I would recommend. That's what not 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 everybody's doing. No, nobody's doing that, Joey. That's great recruiting strategy right there. I am so happy that you went through that. There's a lot of kids that have never heard that or even considered doing that. And some of those kids will absolutely take it to heart and they'll put a plan together and start moving forward. I guarantee you a college coach just gets an email and it says, what is it that you're looking for? that's going to get their attention to begin with instead of them just naturally just kind of throwing up all over the coach saying, this is everything I've ever done. I think, you know, I mean, that's really good strategy that you're laying out. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hey, you know, that was the recruiting advice and I love that. Let's kind of wrap it up tonight. If, if you could give advice to a young baseball player, why don't we say a 10 year old baseball player says he's pretty good really enjoys the game, probably wants to make, he probably wants to play as long as he can. What kind of advice would you give that young man? <laughs> That's great. That's my son, right? 10 years old. And we just had this talk the other day. So it's just like, I'm talking to him. Um, he's very driven. He is very motivated. You tell him he, he loves, like I told you, he loves the soccer side. He, he loves Messi and Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and all, all everything Mbappe, the whole thing, soccer, um, and, and baseball he's into, he really got into it this year because he had a really good year on the hitting and pitching side of things. Um, and he asked me the other day, he said, hey, dad, he goes, you think I can make the big leagues? <laughs> Are you good my chances of making the big leagues? And so I said, you got to be real- realistic. So I told him, I said, well, 
I said, your dad did not make the big leagues. Your dad did not play professional baseball, but I played division one baseball for four years. And I started pretty much half my freshman year started, I think most of my sophomore year, um, junior year. And, and, you know, and, and there was some drama mama my senior year that that'd be a talk for a different day, <laughs> but your, your D one baseball players are like top 5% of baseball players in, in the world, right? Top 5%. Um, then your professionals, you now you're talking one top 1% and then your major leaguers are top 1% and 1% and your Mike Trout's are top 1% and 1% well 1%, right? Um, so the, 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 the probability of making the big leagues is most likely not going to happen. Um, but in order to make yourself better, there are things, again, coming from the hitting side, you know, obviously there's mechanical things. So you got to make sure you're doing the right things and then that you're, that you're doing those things right. So that's effectiveness and efficiency. Um, there are hitting strategies that you can, that you can do. Like I said, we do, we have seven of them that we've developed over the last decade that helps to build better game hitters. Um, and in those are like pitch recognition and, um, uh, pitching tendencies, behaviors, patterns, you know, spotting patterns and that and being, being more an analytical with the game, developing your game plan and your approach. Cause pitchers do that to hitters. And if hitters don't have a game plan, if all a hitters game plan is, is to be adjustable and Hey, if uh, you know, I'm going to look in just away, look away, adjust in, I'm going to look fastball and adjust curveball. I'm going to look curveball, adjust, adjust fastball. You're not going to last very long in this game. I mean, you're not going to go up high enough. Your talent may take you to a, to maybe D one. Um, like I feel like mine maybe did. I was a hard worker too. I wasn't just, it wasn't just the talent, but there were some holes in my system. So there's those kind of mechanical parts to it. But I think, you know, and there's working out, there's strength conditioning, there's, there's all kinds of different factors that, that are involved. But I think above everything else, the, the advice I would say is there's a growth there. There's a, a book called uh, growth mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck, Carol Dweck, D W E C K. Um, really simple book. It talks about growth versus a um, fixed mindset and having a good grasp of those two, understanding that, but also trying to groom yourself more into the growth mindset. The growth mindset will take you so far in this game and in this life. And, and you also have to realize that this game is a sandbox for life. So you will learn lessons, how, how to get knocked down and then how to get back up. And, some, you know, sometimes you get knocked down hard and, and you still got to come up. You still got to get back up. And, and that's you're learning these lessons in a safe kind of a safe environment. Obviously, there's accident stuff that happens. You know, guys get in the face with the ball and stuff like that. But I'm just talking about a safe environment for the most part to learn life, learn these lessons in life. So you will go farther in the sport and life with a growth oriented mindset. The idea that you can work hard on something if you're doing the right things, you're, you're focusing on the right things, and you're focusing on doing those things right, with that kind of mindset, you're going to go far. And you're going to be a discerning athlete. You're going to be a critical thinking athlete. And those are the ones that are be, become the, the best um, in the world. Um, and so th that's really the, the advice that I would say, because there, there's many different parenting situations that these kids that are listening to this right now. You have some that have uh, that have parents that are still together. You have some some that have parents that are split. You have some that don't have parents. They might be orphans, uh, adopted. Uh, maybe have parents. Maybe aren't their parents. I mean, there's so many. One parent. You have so many different combinations of things, and you have so many different parenting styles that if you can break a bad, like a fixed mindset parenting style that was exposed that you that the kid was exposed to and get more into the growth mindset oriented uh, part of it and break that cycle, 
that is going to be huge for you. You got to get out of the victim mentality and think more in terms of, okay, how can I fix this? I know this is a crappy situation, but how can I fix this? How can I make this better? How can I make my chances better, my potential better and that kind of thing? So I think growth versus fixed mindset would be probably my biggest takeaway. Um, there's all the mechanics of it, but having the right mindset, I think, is a, is is almost 100% of it, 99% of it. Everything else falls into place with the right mindset. You know what? I couldn't agree more. That is fantastic advice, Joy. Honestly, parents that are going to be listening either uh, tonight or they're going to listen on the podcast, heck, it may be a year from now, I would really urge you to reach out to Joy at Hitting Performance Lab. I mean, he's got a wealth of experience. He's got a scientific approach. He's got a fantastic background. He's absolutely passionate about his business. He's been, he started this business really from scratch in 2014. He, 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 you know, you really navigated some tough waters on Facebook. And I, I thought that was kind of a funny comment. And I, I'm reflecting back on that. I can only imagine listening to you talk, some of the old time traditional baseball guys, I could understand why they wanted to kill you. I mean, that had to be so foreign to listen to some of the things that you were saying. But I got to tell you, these principles have worked. He's got, he's got uh, uh, clients that have just gone on to just tons of success. He is somebody that I would certainly reach out to. Hey, Joey, I really have enjoyed our time together. I, you know, I hope it's been a good experience for you as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate the time, Alan. And um, I know you've been following me for a little bit and sharing some of my stuff. And I, I completely appreciate that, man. I, you know, I'm, I'm truly, truly grateful for it. And um, I'm glad it comes across as, as that I'm really out there to help. I know part of the argument that I got that first year and a half or so, was that, oh, you're just trying to sell something. Oh, you got a book. Oh, you got a course. You're just trying to sell something. Well, part of it is I put a lot of time and energy into the research and the study and doing swing experiments and, and basically using my own hitters as guinea pigs and things like that. So I should get paid for something that I am I am extending out for you to have the same experience with your hitters, whether they're, you're the parent or the team coach or the instructor. Um, but I have over almost 400 blog posts free free on my site. And, and I've given away thousands and thousands of, uh, I think I'm going to do one soon. Um, so if you can find on one of my articles, uh, usually we'll have like an opt-in where, you know, if you give me your email, you get like a free uh, video, 10 minute video on how to add 40 feet batted ball distance to blah, blah, blah. So if you can get on, on my email list, um, I, I think soon within the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do a free giveaway for my, my book or my P, the PDF version of the book on Amazon. So it's like a five day deal. Um, where it's uh, given away free and stuff like that. So you'll get the the video, the 40, uh, 40 feet, add 40 feet of distance um, instantly, basically using the neck pressure, teaching neck pressure is what it is. Um, 10 minute video, you'll get that free. And, but then also getting on the thing and where I have either discounts or I give away free stuff. So I've given that book away uh, thousands and thousands of that. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, money, money is kind of secondary. I want to help change a lot of people. And, and we've done that. We've, Tens of thousands of coaches, hundreds of thousands of their players um, is what is the numbers that we have done. Um, and, and so that's great. And, and it's funny because we'll see in a Little League World Series, Hawaii, it was funny. Was it last year? They were just dominating, just smashing home runs all over the place in the Little League World Series. And it was funny. Most of their swings look very, very eerily similar to catapult loading system. All of them, one through nine, all of them had uh, did the big three and, and plus some and did they get that from me directly? Uh, probably not. But was it maybe a coach who read some of my stuff or 
maybe it's not about me. Maybe it's about a coach who's, who's been following me for four or five, six years, had his own stuff and they learned it from him. Right. Um, and so I'm happy to see that. Like I'm, I, I don't need to claim hitters. Like I've had major league hitters. I've had professional hitters all the way down. I've had major league I, I, uh, hitters uh, in the big leagues who had been following me for a couple of years. And they're like reaching out finally and saying, Hey, Hey coach Joey, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the White Sox organization or I'm, I'm getting called up and, you know, particularly a player played in the White Sox organization for a couple of years, reaching out and saying, hey, um, you know, I love your stuff and following you for two years. So I have a lot of that. I have a lot of people that have followed me that, that never, talk, you know, say anything to me that, that that's what it was. And you got a lot of a lot of folks out there that are coaches, not a lot, a few of them out there that are really we call it whoring, whoring their, um, their players out. They talk about, I worked with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and it's all the time. It's like, I don't really do that. Like I, the, the player, you know, if it's the major leaguer, he doesn't want to say who I'm okay with that, but you know what? I'm seeing the principal show up. So that's just enough of a confirmation, whether they got it from me, another coach or another, uh, you know, a person, to person, to person or whatever it is. It's the same stuff I was teaching in 2014, started teaching in 2014. So I'm just happy to see it. Um, out there is a big thing because it's so fun to hear hitters in the beginning with this stuff starts off more, you know, they get a lot of singles. That was the way this, the Marissa, the, the, the girl is talking about softball girl 14 playing uh, for a uh, 16 year girls is it starts off a lot of singles. Like she was five for eight, five for nine, uh, maybe four singles and a double or all five singles. And then it was like a couple weeks later, she'd go eight for 16 and she'd have five doubles, three singles and then all of a sudden this home run, she hits her first home run. And then it's a couple home runs, a triple, a couple doubles. And it's just so fun because I, I had that kind of fun growing up. And it's just, it's nice to see uh, the girls, the boys, old, young, it's uh, small, tiny kids, big kids. Um, it's nice to see them big old smile on their face, chest out, uh, you know, when they're walking up to the lesson versus when they first started and they, and they were all slumped and, and low self-esteem and, and that kind of thing, batting eight or nine in the order. It's cool to see them now batting one, two, three, four, five, you know. Um, so that that's where I get that's where I get most of my um uh you know, where it validates what I'm doing. Heck yeah, man. That's where you get the satisfaction right there. I love listening to you talk that way. Yeah, you certainly do deserve to be paid, but the real reward is seeing the results. And you know, you put in ten hard years and to see the results of a little league. You know, I mean, that's kind of cool. There's, I mean, California is pretty close to Hawaii. I guess that's as close as you can get and be in the continental U.S. But, I mean, I think that's really, really cool. I'm happy for you, man. Just everything you're Thank doing, you. you're super excited about. I think that's so cool. Thanks, yeah, absolutely. So I, I do want to let everyone know that we're going to go back to our, kind of our regular program. It will be on Monday night, uh, 9 o'clock. We've got Tate Riggs. He is from Tennessee. He's a 24 on commit. He's got, he's an unbelievable athlete, big time athlete. He's got a great story. I would suggest everyone turn in or tune in nine o'clock on Monday night. Hey, Joey, again, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely appreciate it. Got it, Alan. Thank you for the time. And thanks for all that, that are listening. Absolutely. We're going to end it there. Good night, guys. Good night. Hey, let me ask you something. Are you ready to dominate at the plate this season? Blast baseball is the number one hitting improvement solution. Trusted by more major league, college, and travel ball teams than any other. The blast sensor attaches to the knob of any bat, providing real-time feedback with every swing. Metrics are automatically sent to a smartphone app, generating insights that allow you to analyze and improve your hitting like never before. Go to BlastMotion.com and enter code NOWD1 
and you will save $25 at checkout. Unlock your potential with Blast.